Uh, Hi there, uh, it's Carrie Johnston calling in today from the traditional territory of Champaign and Asiac First Nations in beautiful Dakwakata Haines Junction. And I'm joined today by Wes. Wes works with Proof and he's joining us today from the traditional territory of Ta'an Kuchin Council and Kwanlin Dun First Nation. Welcome, Wes. Hey, Carrie, great to be here. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about who you are as an entrepreneur and what it is that you do? What is Proof? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Proof is a software company. We're headquartered in Whitehorse. We're trying to change how technology works in government. And for uh, folks in Whitehorse who know where some of the bodies are buried, uh, hearing about a software company that focuses on, on government might not seem like a novelty. But uh, when we when we started Proof, we think there's a lot there's a lot to to be done here. And we're trying to we're trying to change the way technology works in government. Um, but my background, I'm, I'm one of the co-founders of Proof and uh, uh, the, the technical co-founders. So I've spent a lot of time building systems. I studied math and computer science at the University of Waterloo. Uh, did some research in cryptography at the University of Toronto and, and research at Columbia University before finding my way into industry and, and into the startup world. And over time, I found that I'm, I'm interested in building technology, but really interested in finding ways to make technology work for people. It's not enough to solve the high-tech problems. And, and it's, it's through that journey has gotten me closer to really finding uh, uh, ways to make technology work for people, not just in solving the tricky puzzles that it is to put together an autonomous system or, or a, an information system uh, on the internet. So. I, uh, I love that we're two Waterloo grads hanging out in the Yukon together, chatting through Zoom. It's great. <laughs> Uh, what did you study at Geography. Uh, Waterloo? Geography, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, population dynamics is a big piece. Yeah, uh, counter-urbanization. Right? So yeah. trends of people moving uh, backwards down what we think of the settlement pattern or hierarchy. So typically we move from smaller settlements to larger. And so what happens when people start moving reverse and for positive forces rather than negative? Because you might move negatively right. out of a large urban center because you can't afford real estate or something like that anymore. No, I could nerd out on that yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, Waterloo, man, that feels like uh, that's a long time now. I was there, started 03, graduated 08. Uh, it was a great, great time, a wonderful place. The, uh, yeah, I, I ran cross country and, and track and field when I was there. And that was actually uh, a lot of community. I found the math department, while having exceptional, exceptional uh, students and faculty, didn't have some of the same community as some of the other uh, departments. I think I really, uh, I, I saw some friends in engineering who had a very tight class and cohort um, throughout the, their time, and I envied that a little bit. And, and probably community is, as so many Yukoners, is a is a big was a big draw for me coming here and something something I cherish. But. Mm, yeah, environmental studies at Waterloo was a really tight knit unit. It was super fun and uh, great community there. So, but we welcomed many math folk in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's great. It's, it's great to connect on that. So, uh, I mean, and, and technology was so pervasive in, in everything that we did at the University of Waterloo. And it's neat that you're running a tech company up here. So what are you learning about running a tech company right now in the midst of a pandemic and north of 60? I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. The, the thing that has changed the most since March and uh, the world going into lockdown, Canada and the Yukon going into lockdown has uh, been that there is uh, 
you know, an overall increase in things that happen digitally. And so software companies like Proof, uh, there's a wave that's happening here, right? Not, not everything. I'm sure there are some software companies that are getting less volume, but uh, we are, we're trying to uh, digitize, in some sense, a legacy industry. And that uh, is resistant has resistant to change. There's lots of in, there's lots of endemic factors and challenges in changing technology in any large organization, a government department at any size or uh, a large organization. But there's suddenly a, a policy window here. There's an impetus. There's a need to to do more digitally, to do do more remotely. And so since uh, the I'm not even sure what to call the thing that happened in early March, right? I know that there was emergency legislation and people were asked to more or less stay home, right? But, but I don't know if we have a word for that. It's, it's, it's a kind of self-isolation, but I guess when I say self-isolation today, I think of folks returning from travel and coming to the territory and, and self-isolating for a fixed period of time. But I don't know what, what the expression is for that when the, you know, the curtain kind of fell in, in, in March. Uh, I don't know uh, how, what, if there's an expression for that. Yeah. Shelter in place. Lockdown? Uh, shelter in place. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, since, since sheltering in place, we have, uh, since that began, all of our existing customers suddenly had new need for us and we're looking for ways to do more with our with our software. I've given a pretty high level uh, uh, description of what it is that we do. I said we we're trying to change technology and government. That's pretty generic, right? So the, uh, I, you, you stop, stop me from getting a bit long, uh, long-winded here, Terry, but um, the, the the key, the key piece that we're doing um, is we're an approval platform for government. We're, we're an approval platform. And there's something different. Uh, th there's something domain specific about how software needs to work in a public sector organization. It's very different than how it works in a private sector organization. So in uh, th this is one of the theses of the company that a lot of the tools, while, while superficially there's, there's a strong similarity, but between the needs of a public sector organization and the needs of a private sector organization. There's these layers of policy and control that just don't exist in industry that exist in, in the public sector. So uh, we're trying to capture some of these things like acting. Uh, when when uh, a deputy minister is away, maybe they're sick, maybe they uh, I have left the position and the new minister hasn't been appointed, the, the status of acting deputy minister exists in legislation. Right, and so there's a there's a statutory status for something that happens where an assistant deputy minister is given a new ability, right? And and there's just like different parts of statute require a deputy minister's action in order for them to be ratified. And so if there isn't a deputy minister, you need the acting deputy minister. Some of these concepts, how do they? Uh, when you're looking for official authoritative records, authoritative digital records, you need to capture these concepts, and they don't really exist in any of the software that in, in private sector organizations, private sector organizations don't have the same uh, rigid rules and structures and controls um, in, in, in this form. They have their own controls in, in, of different kinds and of different concerns. But, um, so what, the core piece that we're doing uh, is approvals, but there's a lot of things that what generates an approval, what is the thing that needs an approval? And in many cases, this might be a briefing note that needs to get uh, into a politician's hands, into a minister's hands. This has to be run up the hierarchy and it needs to be reviewed at, at many levels. It needs to be approved. But there are also all kinds of uh, business process, like licensing, permitting, that go through an approval process and have some structured process. And so uh, this is another major component of what it is that we're 
that we're working for, uh, that, that we're orbiting around and what our software facilitates. So actually another piece around this is uh, we're, we're helping some federal departments return to their office, to their office buildings. So as uh, the number of cases was going down over the summer, uh, a, a number of departments, all the federal departments were looking at ways of reopening their premises. And there's really two challenges that they have when they want to do that. They, they want to manage capacity and they also want to have infrastructure in place for contact tracing. And so there's a, uh, an application for a return uh, to an office space, and that gets automatically approved if it's within a capacity limit. And then, but then that information is stored and we're able to access it later if you need to do some contact tracing, if it turns out later on that someone is, um, uh, is COVID positive and you want to know who they came in, in contact with. So that's an example of the, the, one of the, the use cases of our, of our software today. But the, uh, yeah, since, since shelter in place began back in March, we've had, uh, you know, struggling to keep up with with all the all the work that uh, um, that's manifested. I imagine then your background in cryptography is that the right way of saying it? Crypt yeah, mm -hmm. it would be beneficial if you're building this sort of infrastructure for government. Uh, yeah, so so cryptography is the study of crypto. Sorry, cryptography is actually usually the construction of cryptographic systems. So it's one component of cryptology is the parent discipline, and cryptology has cryptography and cryptanalysis. And so when we talk about cryptography, we're usually talking about constructing these systems rather than than decomposing them. And so yeah, there's a lot we could say about uh, how cryptography fits into this world. Uh, cryptography is the mathematical horsepower that lets privacy and often that makes privacy and authenticity happen over the internet and digitally right and so the all of our communication that all of our communication medium media uh, by themselves have no privacy or authenticity around them and what is meant by that is like uh, if you think of most communications of the internet you should think of them like radio at their core they could be overheard by anyone that's that's in the vicinity and so you need to impose another layer of signaling on what you're sending over the channel to retain some privacy that would only be intended recipient uh, can understand your method, but can understand your message. But of course, there's a, authenticity is actually where this stuff starts to get, uh, is a particular concern for us in the world of official records. So authenticity is the problem of you would like to know, you would like to move a document out of the system and you would want to know that, that document hasn't been modified over time. So this is a real challenge when, uh, by nature, a digital document can be perfectly replicated and there's no fingerprints when someone uh, makes a change, right? In, in analog, you can tell, some, at least with analog medium, there are all kinds of other signs. You can't uh, slice and dice things perfectly, but in the digital world, you can make incisions and, and, and reorder bits without leaving any signature uh, of those changes inherently in the medium. So, so the game then becomes, what are some higher level structures of encoding the information in a way that allows you to detect if things have been tampered with in transit? And so, the, yeah, that, that's, the, that's authenticity. And so signatures, digital signatures are, are an example of that. And when we talk about signatures, we're usually talking about um, public and private key, public key cryptography as opposed to private key cryptography. That's another, that's another place where the, where the domain splits significantly, but public key cryptography is what, what drives a lot of what we're doing. We're actually, we, we today haven't deployed a ton of cryptography in production systems, not beyond, not nothing, nothing beyond what would be standard in any, in any information system, right? Like while we're talking over Zoom right now, this is over an, uh, over an encrypted channel, 
even though we're going to put this up over up on YouTube while you and I are talking right now, no one can can drop in and listen. And that, that's thanks to encryption. So we're using these kinds of technologies, but we haven't. We're, we're really excited about the, the the possibility of bringing some new ways of doing digital document management with this on uh, uh, with this integrity that can happen with records. I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of problems around digital records management that are that haven't been solved today because of a lack of good tooling around integrity. And so the challenge, there, there's, some, there's lots of challenges in, in, in that world. But um, yeah, I, I, I could geek out about this stuff for a long time. That, that may be a lot more details than, than you're interested in hearing. Sure. Remember, you're talking to the CTO here. You're not talking to the, the, the CEO, the guy who's, yeah, yeah. Well, I think there was a reason why I asked to speak to the CTO for this interview, because I think it's, <laughs> You know, I, I don't think you Connors really think about our, you know, our software, you know, innovation experiences happening within the territory right now, right? And you've got a, you've assembled a team of. Um, I was in the office the other day, and I didn't realize you've got, you know, a, a born and raised Yukoner on your team working for you guys. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, one of our one of our team members, one of our software developers, grew up on a trap line in the Klondike, and uh, the, uh, yeah, this. Uh, incredibly, incredibly capable, incredibly competent member of the team. Uh, all of our our team is super strong, and, and we're I, I feel very privileged to work with 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 all of them. But yeah, Marlon uh, uh, embodies uh, lots uh, all all of the positive attributes of of, of a youth honor. Um, yeah, I, and that that's the, that's part of our opportunity up here, I think. So, what are you learning about youth uh, honors right now? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I uh, the when I the, the last couple of weeks when I run into people in and out of Northland, I've I've been telling them that I'm I'm pretty heads down, and and that's my way of trying to make sense of it, the fact that I haven't really come up for air and and uh, in, in a little while just trying to uh, unblock our customers, keep, keep things rolling. Actually, a lot of, a lot of the work right now is is happening with departments in Ottawa, and so even though we are working very closely with uh, the Yukon territorial government on a couple of projects. Um, they've been an important partner um, since since we started. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our growth right now is happening outside of the Yukon, which is really exciting, and that's actually really important in order to make this organization sustainable. Right? Is that the this is one of the critical pieces about software, and we're trying to unlock the positive the positive economics of software. The 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 promise of software is if you build it the right way, you're able to get really a lot of mileage out of it. Right and and but software is deceptively expensive. Right, uh, an example I like to give is that Google Docs is probably a billion dollar piece of software, and yet we use it and we don't pay uh, a dime for it in our in our private lives. Right, and yet this is an incredible piece of software that lets you collaborate in real time with anyone on the face of the earth. Right, like this is this is, but we don't we don't think about that. Right, and we don't think about the hundreds of thousands of of software engineers that are working for Google that are. That are making this thing operate, right? And so the, uh, but that, that's a real success story. That when you build the right thing, when it's when it's got the right interface, it's working in the right dimensions. You're able to replicate it uh, over a, a really incredible scale. And that's the thing we're trying to unlock with with the software we're building at Proof. We're trying to build this platform, and, and why customers outside of the Yukon are, are so so critical. But uh, the uh, specifically about about Yukoners, the uh, I don't think my I don't think my perception has shifted in a drastic way from the my perception of Yukoners that that I had when I moved 
to the territory here, right? That Yukoners uh, are incredibly adaptable. Uh, they are incredibly creative. They're incredibly resilient and they are community oriented. And all of those things remain true even throughout this crisis um, today. Probably the ability for us to keep our case number as low as it has been over the, over the stretch is uh, a testament to uh, individuals attending to the recommendations from um, around self-isolation and, and, and the, the safe six and, and, and what have you, right? And that's, that, is, that is, should be a point of pride. And it's uh, like, I'm in the office right now at Northlight with my team. And when we're on a call with folks outside of the Yukon, it usually throws them for a loop when there are two people coming in on camera, right? And we're, uh, uh, my partner Ben and I, his partner Ben and I are in, are part of the same bubble, right? We just, this is a reality of, of working together and a choice we've made, but it's, uh, it, it, it blows people away when they see someone else on camera in a work call, like this is, this is not the reality in, in most of the rest of the world. So. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, I think you're right. Our numbers being so low with some, you know, limited mobility outside and, and still being able to keep our numbers so low is a testament to UConn's ability to, to follow that safe six, you know, which is unique to UConn. Um, what, which of the safe six are you finding the hardest to integrate into your life though? I, you know, it is, they are challenging. I mean, the, I, I think if, if I were traveling, Self-isolation would be would be a challenge, but I'm purposefully not traveling, a because of risk, but b because that reintegration uh, would would be a challenge, right? On on the whole, I think uh, they're all they're all pretty pretty manageable. At the, at the same time, like you're in the grocery store and even if you're wearing a mask, folks aren't maintaining six feet apart at all times, right? Like this is, um, and that's not that's that's not a surprise. Right, like this is the, the, these are these are ideal situations. You're bringing the risk down by wearing a mask. You've got to get to the grocery store periodically, anyway, right? Um, but uh, none none of them stand out particularly as a challenge. Uh, what do you uh, what are you learning about leadership as you kind of bring your CTO? So how do you bring your team through through these like you know? the increased workload and demands on, on top of an already sort of imagined taxing workload? <laughs> I, I think I, I, I'm, I am recognizing some aspects of, my, of myself that's a worker and recognizing that as a leader, I need to, while there are opportunities that come with handing at work, if that's the only thing I'm doing, uh, that's not that helpful, right? There's on one hand, there really is something that's exciting about when we're called into action. You have an opportunity to make a difference with a on a customer on a file, um, and there's also something exciting about the fact that people are uh, using our tool. It's it's one thing to be in the lab, to be building something that you feel really great about, that you have visions for how it will be used and how it will scale perfectly, and you're taking care of all of these details before they get out into the wild. But the, uh, it's not, unless, it's, unless what you're doing is in a customer's hand, unless what you're building is in a customer's hand, unless what you're, the code you're writing is in production, 
it's not worth anything, right? And so on one hand, there's an opportunity that comes with this, but I, but I recognize that uh, I, there's an opportunity for developing your skills as a software developer that comes from having having the arena, right? And there are lots of people who will actually operate for a very long time in their career and they'll be sheltered within larger organizations but the thing that they're building doesn't really get much volume at all, right? So there, there is the opportunity here of the arena, but uh, I'm learning that the I need to think a little bit more about pace and I need to uh, step back a little bit, take a breath and create the conditions where we're not just talking about work all the time. We're appreciating, I'm allowing my team to appreciate one another as humans, taking some time for social. Um, and I, when we are taking some time to celebrate our wins, when, uh, when we reach milestones, because there is, it feels like there is, uh, we've only begun the journey, the mountains are still looming large on the horizon. And so it doesn't feel, doesn't, uh, I need a reminder to take a break and to, you know, celebrate the distance, distance we've come. That, that's the biggest, that's the biggest piece for me that, that needs to change when I'm learning about myself that comes with the, with the workload and the, and the challenges of, of where we are today. How are you keeping yourself well? How are you kind of keeping yourself grounded so you can climb those mountains? <laughs> um, probably the uh, the best thing that I've done. It, my wife and I left got a dog in June. We adopted uh, a dog from the the shelter in town, and that has been a uh, a caring for Max is a really uh, uh, wonderful change of pace for me, it forces me to, uh, forces me to not deal only with matters of the business. Max needs attention. He needs to go out. He needs exercise. He needs to be fed, right? There's another living being here that, 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 that needs, uh, that needs my attention. And I, there's something I, I find us a powerful feeling of joy when I'm hanging out with Max. And that's, it's like something I can very easily tap into. My stress just falls away. Um, the, we feel he's, he's a 16 month old. Uh, we, we got him in June. So we've had him for June, July, August, September, October, five months now, I guess. And uh, the, we were told he was a Rottweiler, though after reading a little bit, or a Rottweiler mix, right? Some sled dog in there every, every uh, Half the dogs up here have, have sled dog in them, very lean. Um, but after reading a little bit the personality of breeds, we think he's a Doberman because he's very personally bonded and, and just wants to sit on your lap. And so having a 70 pound dog sit on your lap, there's something I think that's pretty nice about that. And so uh, I think Max is the reason that uh, I've removed an incredible amount of stress and, and put an incredible amount of balance into, into my day. That's, that sounds joyful. That really does. You, you, you describe Max with a lot of joy. <laughs> uh, he's upstairs cuddling with Lutz right now. If he, if he was around, I, I, I would put him on camera. But yeah. Oh, well, I'm sure he's very handsome. <laughs> um, so how are you uh, thinking about proof a little bit differently based on, you know, you've, you've, we've kind of been through this crazy eight months. Are you thinking differently about the business? Um, I mean, one of the things that struck me was uh, as soon as 
we started sheltering in place. Uh, the it struck me there's opportunity here. Right? There's uh, and that might seem callous to say, right? But all all that I mean by that is things are are changing. The way that we operate is changing. The ways that we have conducted our our daily lives, the technologies that we use, the way we get around, uh, these things have to change because our our world our world has changed, and there is opportunity that comes with that change, right? Um, the in in some sense, I I feel like I'm in the wrong business because we're not. There, I think there are businesses that are exploding at, right now, right? And though we are I, though we have been fortunate and had a lot of new business that has come about as a result of COVID, we are in a complicated space. We're working with legacy organizations that take a long time to change. And so the rate at which we will grow is still very different than, the, than how other technologies have the opportunity to be adopted, right? The, the, the expression startup, where does this come from? What is the definition of this? I think a lot of people use it to mean the place that's cool to work, right? Uh, and the uh, if you if you read Paul Graham, one of the founders of YC, his definition of startup is uh, around a company that is designed to grow quickly, right? And so there's a lot of organizations that 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 uh, uh, ascribe to that mantle, but don't have that trajectory or are not really technologically enabled that could allow them to grow all that quickly, right? And so while proof is a technology play, because we're working with such with organizations that are relatively slow to change, that feels like a limit, a significant limit to our growth. And so in some sense, the it is unlikely, it's hard to imagine how proof's trajectory could be that could match that of an Uber or an Airbnb, which are kind of the templates of an organization that because the way they've harnessed technology um, has totally changed the way that people are able to acquire a certain kind of good or service. Right, but uh, has has reshaped uh, uh, huge parts of the huge elements of our of our world. Um, so, uh, maybe the way to frame that most positively is, uh, I'm probably not capitalizing on this moment enough. Uh, mm -hmm. hmm. But you're you're building for the long haul. It's different scale. Um, what advice do you have for emerging entrepreneurs who want to be in the startup space or working in working in software? I I think that there I the I think that there's a lot of noise in the world of uh, business, and when people start companies try to start companies, they get a lot of advice from a lot of different places. And so I'm going to give advice. If I'm going to give advice, I'm, I'm going to be a certain, I, I'm going to be adding to that noise. And yet there's something that became very clear for me uh, early on in my career that actually came from the founders at ClearBank, which is the, the company I was a part of before I founded Proof. This is a Canadian fintech startup founders, uh, uh, Andrew D'Souza, Michelle Romano, and the one thing that became clear is there's really only one concern for them. And I think appropriately for a business, 
And so you can talk about marketing, you can talk about business plans, you can talk about cash flow. All of these things are important, but they are in their place. They, they, they need to be put in their place. And it's easy to get lost when you're early on and trying to figure out how much attention do I give to any of these things. I think the only thing that any person starting a business should concern themselves with is how do I find customers that I can serve profitably? That's it. There's, there's nothing else. And until you answer that question and prove that you can answer that question, nothing else matters. Everything else is in service of finding customers and serving them profitably. And so why are we doing marketing, right? We're trying to figure out how to connect with the people that we can sell our good or service to, right, in, in a profitable way. And, and there's, 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 there's ways to find margins in all of these different attributes of running a business. I'm not much of a planner. When people talk about business plans, like some people can put together some great business plans. But to me, the only element of the plan is um, how do I find more customers? I, it, the, how, how many customers am I going to onboard? Am I going to be able to onboard over time? And it's, and it's more, I think market analysis is the thing that I probably care more about than about any kind of business plan. A business planning is almost predicated on the fact that you've figured out a lot about what it is that you're doing, right? The other element about a startup that we often talk about is that you're, you're creating a new business model, right? And so you don't exactly know what it is. You, you, you know, your, your customer is a little bit fluid. Your market is a little bit fluid. Your product is, is a little bit fluid. And you're, and you're trying to figure out how to connect those, those pieces. And when those things are in flux, I, I don't really know what a business plan looks like. And, and lots of folks will put one with, together with enough conviction that they need at various stages in their career, whether that's to get some financing from a bank, whether that's to get financing from external investors, but right? you need to put a certain amount of shape around that. And probably people will, will believe those plans to different, differing degrees as well, right? The, there, there are planners that may be very committed to this thing. It's very helpful. And it's the thing that, that, that takes them through, right? But uh, to me, the thing that has cut away all of the noise when I think about operating a business is, how do I find customers profitably? That's it. How do I onboard them profitably? How do I get to the point where I'm offering them service in exchange for dollars? And, and to me, that is the, the only concern that anyone should ever have in starting a business. And that will put everything else into place. I, it's sage advice. I mean, a lot of the time, I think it is the, the journey of writing the plan itself uh, more than it is the actual plan, right? Sure, sure. Uh, um, lifelong learning. Are you uh, picking up any new skills these days? I guess dog walking. <laughs> uh, dog training too. Uh, yeah. You have to train your dog to play fetch. This was this was a revelation for me when it, in in the world of dog ownership, right? There maybe some dogs automatically know how to play fetch, but you can train a dog to play fetch, right? And that's actually a really valuable thing to do because you can tire them out really quickly. But um, the I think the area where I'm growing them, there's a lot of areas that I'm growing a lot in proof and none of them are really technical. And so some of them, when I get to do technical things, it's usually pretty satisfying and I like to uh, do technical work because I'm relatively good at it and it feels good to get in flow and, and stretch, uh, uh, stretch muscles that, that, uh, that work a certain way. But um, all of the growth that is, that has happened for me as a founder of Proof has been around leadership and, and in emotional development, right? And so thinking about, uh, as a leader, I need to let go a lot, right? It's, it's the, you know, how I would do something is going to be different 
than how members of my team do it. And I need to give up on that. You know, there are certain things that will be critical and then there will be lots of things that won't be. And I need to, I need to give, give up on them to someone who's pretty particular um, that that has been a challenge. And yet it's also, I, it's very clearly the thing that a leader that, that I need to do to help my team uh, move forward. One of my team members gave me some sobering feedback over the summer uh, that made me recognize the extent to which I was uh, micromanaging and concerning myself with the details, right? And his words were, um, uh, I question my abilities as an engineer working for you because there's so many things that you poke on, right? And this is someone who I have incredible uh, confidence in and trust in. And for him to have reflected that to me, I realized I realized I'm doing something pretty, pretty lousy here that needs to change pretty drastically. And, and that's for me control, right? Is uh, just because I think that maybe is that is a particular challenge that probably is a challenge that's particular for someone who comes from doing work and then leading that kind of work, right? It's one thing to, you know, participate in, in, in projects where you would never have done the, the, the detailed work yourself, right? And so you just won't get in the way in the same way, right? I, I'm, I'm sure there's lots of other people who are, uh, there are lots of other reasons why people don't micromanage uh, the heck out of uh, whatever project they're working on. Um, but that's something that, I, that, I'm, that I'm learning to do. Uh, as a, the, you know, I've been all, since I uh, joined Proof as a founder, there's also been a large, a huge component of emotional development that has come with a leader. And I'm, I'm recognizing that I, I've been gaining a lot of awareness and mindfulness and being able to inspect my own reactions to things. Right? And I'm, I'm realizing that, oh, I've, the, you know, this is an extension of the thing I just said, but I've got a lot of expectations. I've got a lot of expectations for myself. And I, I can't expect those things if I'm not communicating those expectations. And so realizing how latent these things are, how embedded these things are in my own mind in so many different situations. And, I'm, and I, I recognize they're being violated when I'm getting frustrated in a situation. Right? That's, a, that's a huge indicator, right? But like, and then I'm, I'm getting better at this pattern of attending to, um, attending to the frustration and seeing, oh, there's an expectation here and I haven't communicated it. And so there's no reason that this other person uh, is going to meet it if they don't know what it is. So I either need to communicate it or give it up, right? So there's a lot of letting go. I think that's, that's most of it. That's, uh, uh, that's the leadership journey for me, letting go. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Those are, I mean, those are all really insightful reflections and, and those things that are really hard to see, especially when they're happening to us in the moment, right? And it's like, I always think about it a little bit it's like, oh, there's some, there's some interesting code that I've got going on. Like we ritualistically built all these codes, these ways that we, we interact in the world, right? And, and I'll just be like, I'm just going to hit the delete key on that because I'm in a really bad loop right now. <laughs> like I got to get out of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sure. But you have sure. the awareness yeah. to see that yeah. happening while it's happening. Uh, yeah. G gaining the awareness, right? So. <laughs> I think it's a lifelong journey. <laughs> Um, any aha moments for you? Any major shifts in your worldview or way you're thinking about things? I feel like I, I, 
you know, I often feel like we're on the breakthrough. We're on the cusp of a breakthrough with something at proof when we're seeing the problems that are presented to us and, and suddenly an opportunity for how to do things differently. But that's more in the nature of the work itself. That's not something COVID related, right? So an, so an aha moment, if we're specifically talking about COVID and, and, and the time we're in right now, nothing, there's, can't really trace any of that. I feel like I have aha moments daily in my, uh, or at least weekly in my self-understanding when I'm trying to understand why I get so frustrated about things and learning the root of some of these, these expectations. But um, the nothing specifically rooted in, in, in the COVID, the COVID piece. Um, what are some of the what are some of the ahas that have been shared so far from your from your interviews? Maybe maybe we'll make good maybe we'll make good podcast material for you to repeat them in this podcast. But. Well, gosh, I don't even. I'm trying to think back in time. It's been a little while. Like I'm doing this series right now for Innovation Week, but this is kind of almost like my season two for the podcast because I took a little bit of a, <laughs> a break there for the fall as things got busy and and just took a bit of a moment to reflect. Um. I, I mean, I think a lot of people have realized a lot about the power of networking and being in relationship and the importance of, um, you know, of building relationship and how we do it and, and leveraging those opportunities as well. Um, and just how important those connections are. I mean, that, that comes up over and over and over again. And, and that, that like staying well for yourself and staying grounded as much as possible because you can't do the big right. things if you're not stable. Right, right. The, the, I mean, the one thing that's worth pointing out, I don't know if, how many folks have, have communicated this to you, Carrie, but the fact that everyone is meeting over Zoom levels the playing field for a company that's based in a very remote part of Canada. So all of a sudden, we're able to present to people across the country in, in more or less the exact same package that anyone else they would interact with. And so all of a sudden, the uh, in-person element, the power of the in-person connection, which of course, is important for so many reasons. That's 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 shelved today and in this time. And so there, there's a, there's a uh, a pretty unique and interesting opportunity that comes uh, for companies based in places like Whitehorse in in, in a moment like this. Oh, that's a that's really what, that certainly feels to be the case. Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a really strong reflection. Is you know sort of this like you know we're, we're seeing this decentralization of a lot of how we conduct ourselves in the in the business world and uh yeah you know i think it was the big tech companies that right off the hop were basically like well we're going to be enabling work from home toot sweet and for a long time <laughs> right like they were really loud and and clear about it right off the hop and i think you know and and seeing that impact that that's going to have on real estate in terms of downtown offices and and basically being emptied out in many ways right so I think um, I think there there is a big shift in what it enables for a company like Proof that's operating in an environment where you put on your skis out your back door or you know and access the wilderness is is truly uh, truly amazing. Um, values of reopening. What are your hopes? Sort of. I mean reopening we're going to be reopening for a long time but i think we've sort of had a bit of reset in our economy so what are you hoping for you know for the yukon or the canadian economy as we have gone through this transformation and we we build something new together 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I don't understand how we're going to reopen anywhere. In, in like, I just don't know what we envision, uh, what is the end state, right? Because reopening presumes that, it, 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 when I hear that, I envision things returning to businesses continuing to operate. There are not COVID flare-ups, right? People talk about the new normal, that things will be different in the future. But, you know, when I first heard the idea of flatten the curve, I understood the point was that the end game will be once everyone has gotten sick, but that can't happen all at once. Right, that that really the, the the ideal end state is herd immunity, right? And and a vaccine, I think, is you're you're basically trying to arrange that state, right? so that so long as humans are susceptible to COVID, we will have these. Um, uh, there will always be flare-ups. I suppose there's the question of what percentage of the population is not susceptible to the virus. Maybe there is a there maybe there is a future state where half of half of the world is uh, COVID resistant. And maybe in that state, you wouldn't have uh, epidemic proportions of breakouts just because of the way that things mix, right? So that, that any, because you would expect those individuals that have previously contracted the disease and are supposing they are immune today, if they're more or less uniformly distributed across the population, that might represent enough of a barrier that would stop breakouts, right? This is, this is actually, you know, epidemiologists are thinking a lot about this right now. I know that they're they're using probabilistic models and pr probabilistic graph theory is probably, some, random graphs are, are probably something really that they're looking a lot at, right? And, and um, I, so I don't know what the possible end states are, but it feels like I, the, uh, you, you know, you can imagine a couple of them. I've, I've wondered at times if I, the, that it is painful today for the jurisdictions that have incredibly high case numbers, but does that mean things will be better for them six months from now? Because there's been, now there is a higher percentage of immunity inside their population. I, I don't know. I have no idea, right? I'm, I'm, uh, I don't have an opinion. I haven't. I don't have a considered perspective on this, right? Um, but I, I, and haven't thought about it a great deal because it doesn't feel like it's something that I can influence. I think. I think this is. This often feels like the kinds of problems. I maybe that's just how I justify it to myself. What are the things I think about, and and what are the things I don't? But. Um, yeah, it's really not clear to me how we will not have an indefinite number of waves of COVID in, in reopening unless we are establishing some kind of immunity amongst the population. And if we, and if, and if we are, when will that be a conscious goal for our, our public health officials and, and the way that we operate, right? If that's, if that's the kind of, if that's the kind of barrier, but I, I think that's right. I mean, I think it's interesting because, yeah, when, when I first designed that question, this value of reopening, it was when we were 
you know, we were in that sort of like shelter in place that, a, you know, only critical services were allowed out like that initial like couple of weeks. Right. And then we started to right. come out of that where, you know, essential workers and it, we were, you know, coming out of these phases. And and then we sort of talked about this sort of like reopening of the economy as businesses got back to work in the summer. And, you know, we were really in we're in this new normal and we're in this new normal for for a really long time, we don't really, even this week, you know, we're filming this right after um, the Pfizer announcement of the vaccine and, and seeing that the RNA vaccine might, you know, be somewhat viable. Like there's some, but even that, when you think about the time scale of that, like the best case scenarios are still months and months and months away from now, you know, like it's, it's a it's a factor of time that is really challenging for us to wrap our heads around. I think. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, any songs, podcasts, books, or anything like that that are really getting you through these days? Um. Yeah. I. I, I haven't subscribed to a ton new of late. Um, though I, I was, I recently started listening to some of Seth Godin's Akimbo, and that's not a new resource. Seth Godin has been around for a really long time and, and is well, very well regarded, but um, a, a friend of mine flipped me a, a podcast of his, a recent one on the pursuit of perfection and perfectionism in work, and that, and that really spoke to me, uh, especially with where I, the, some of the, uh, perfection is, is something I'm thinking a lot about in the software development, in the culture of the organization at Proof, where the craftsmanship, the the ideals of craftsmanship are are in can be in conflict with the kind of iterative development that you need when you are in an, a company where you have really high ambiguity in what it is that you're trying to deliver. What is the, what will be the sustainable thing to deliver, right? Um, so that's something that uh, I've recently been connected with and, and I really appreciate. A, a podcast that I, I, I actually really like uh, is uh, R Russ Roberts' Econ Talk. It's out of uh, Stanford University. And uh, the, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I enjoy economics because it's this quantitative lens on human behavior. Right? So it really speaks to both sides of, of, of me and being really interested in the world we live in and yet also really interested in the underlying structures and the quantitative structures that, that, that take it up. And I find uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, up often uh, exposes me to very different ideas and ways of thinking about things than I, than I they, uh, would come across myself. And so I value that pretty, pretty highly. He seems like a, um, he's a different voice and that's, a, that's something I regularly consume. Two good recommendations. Thanks for that. I hadn't heard of the, the second one. Thank, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Most welcome. Yeah, uh, it's been fun. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Yeah, thanks. Okay, bye.